second samuel chapter 7 verse 1 to 17 and i read now when the king lived in his house and the lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies the king said to nathan the prophet see now i dwell in a house of cedar but the ark of god dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord, uh, for the Lord is with you. On that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Will you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all, uh, in all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I not speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges, uh, from the time uh, that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are uh, when your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up. Uh, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits uh, iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of, son, of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took uh, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever, in accordance with with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you, we thank you for your word that we heard in the morning. Thank you that the great God of heaven uh, reconciles backsliders himself. And we do pray that as we again meditate on your word and we see your mercy, not just uh, as we saw in the morning to Noah, 
I mean to Jonah, but even as we look at your mercy on your servant David and how you blessed him, oh Lord, we pray that we may see your myriads, various blessings that you have given to us through Christ, oh Lord. We pray that you would bless us so that you would be keen to listen, keep us from any kind of distraction, whether it would be the things we are anticipating in this coming week or whether it would be things that are even here with us, O oh Lord, help us that the enemy will not take your word, the seed of your word from us, O oh Lord. So please, Lord, work in our midst, save the lost as your word is preached, strengthen the weak, warn those who are careless. And above all, we pray that Christ would be exalted, that he would increase and we would decrease. So we thank you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, there is something that growing up I used to see a lot. I don't see it that much today. Uh, it will be a helpful illustration for the sermon this uh, evening. And it's these Swiss knives. I don't know whether you know the Swiss knives. It's, a, it's, it's a, a pen knife that has many other foldable uh, knives, blades. Some of them even have I think scissors, uh, they probably have a, 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 a bottle opener, uh, sorry, all those kind of things. You probably remember them, isn't it? Or you, you own them. I hope you have ever seen them. You, you, you can, if you want, for example, a, school, a screwdriver, you just get that pen knife from your pocket and you pull uh, one of the blades and it's, it's a screwdriver and... and there is a scissors and all these things are in one package, right? I, I don't see them anymore. Or, uh, they are very rare, but they used to be there long ago. They are called Swiss knives. You buy that one pen knife and it has myriad and uh, many other things in it that can help you other than just simply having what you thought you would want. And one of the things I want us to see um, and to know us, not just as we look at this passage, but even as we look at the entire Bible, is that God's blessings are, in a sense, like that Swiss knife. They contain myriads and myriads of blessings in it. That when God blesses, or God says, I will bless you. It is something that has many dimensions and it reveals itself in many ways. It uh, helps someone in different ways, not just in this life, but even in the life to come, right? And as we look at this evening, the blessing that God gives to David, I want us to see that as God blesses David, this blessing comes to him, but it comes to him as, yes, one blessing from God, but it has myriads, it has a manifold. Uh, it is like a, a box packed with many presents, one present with many presents inside of it. And as we observe this, I want us also to see that in Christ, as we are blessed with the salvation in Christ, that one wonderful blessing encompasses 
all other blessings or myriads of blessings in it. So this afternoon, let us see that the blessings of God, the blessings of God's covenant are manifold. They are various. They are many. The manifold blessings of God's covenant. Because this is a passage where it's um, half of this chapter, it's a big chunk of it, it's God talking about the blessings he will pour on David. And so I want us to see three wonderful blessings that God blesses David with. And I want us to see that firstly, or the first thing, is the blessing of David being secure in God. David being secure in Yahweh. We see this in verse 1 and 3. We are told that when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. That's the first line that we see. God. God working in the life of David. God working in the household of David. And what does he give David? Gives David rest from the surrounding enemies. Or in other words, David is given security. Rest there doesn't mean that David now sat around and did not do anything. Rest there is a picture of what? Him being secure. And he is secure because he is blessed of Yahweh. It is Yahweh. The Lord had given him rest. Now, what does this passage tell us? This passage does not mean that the enemies of David were not present. When you read verse 1, don't think that it is saying that now suddenly all the enemies of David were eliminated or they vanished or they were obliterated. No. We shall see in the coming chapters that, guess what? David still has enemies. If, 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 as we continue to read, we will see in chapter 10, uh, he fights Ammon and, 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 uh, and Syria, and uh, he, he, he fights off other nations as we continue to uh, read the, this book. So therefore, the main meaning of this verse is that David was secure because God was surrounding him. God had established his kingdom. He was firmly seated on the throne because God had done so. What this passage shows us, or it points us to, is that God had secured David's place on the throne. There was no opposition to his kingship. And more importantly, God was pleased to have him sit on that throne unshaken, undisturbed, unlike Saul. You remember for Saul, Saul would be on the throne. He was seated on the throne, 
But deep down in his heart, he was shaken. Why? Because he knew God had said what? I will give your kingdom to someone else. I will take this kingdom from you. I will tear it from you and give it to someone else. What a horrible place to be in where you are seated on a throne or where you own, quote unquote, you own something, but it's not yours. It's not secure. Someone can take it anytime. A good example would be like this. Uh, I think recently there's been this outcry about um, are they microfinance institutions that give people money to go and buy motorbikes. I don't know whether you've seen that story. It's been all over uh, social media, especially. Uh, some microfinance, they tell you, you know what, come and buy this, this uh, motorbike at this rate, and then you, you just be giving us 1,000 every day, and after four months, this bike will be yours. And, and so you take it. But then after four months, they find a reason to say, well, you did not pay on time on this day, and therefore we charged you a penalty, and we added interest on that, and therefore we need to take our bike. And then you go back to them and you start negotiating and they tell you, okay, take it. And then you start paying again and then they do what? Again, they come for it. In other words, you have it, but you don't, you don't have it. You are not at peace. That wasn't the case with David. David was at peace. This kingdom was his. The throne was his. No one could shake him. God had, say, had given him the title deed to that kingdom, the kingship. And one of the things we see from this is that, or one application we can make from this, is that, um, is that God's favors or God's blessing upon us doesn't mean that we do not have adversity. Rather that um, whether in adversity or not, we are at peace. We are at peace because we belong to God and he will keep and he will sustain us. It didn't mean that the Philistines had disappeared for David. It didn't mean that the, the, the uh, Syrians had disappeared. They were still there. Those surrounding nations were still there. David was internally at peace. That's one of the consequences of God's covenant blessing. Peace. You remember what Christ said to his disciples? My peace I give you. And not like the peace that the world gives you. Because the world gives you peace, but you know that they can take it anytime. But what a wonderful peace that comes from the covenant relationship with God. It's a wonderful, great blessing to be at peace, to be in a world where everything is falling apart. You are at peace. To be in a world where inflation is running amok, be at peace. To be in a world where prices of things are increasing every day, you are at peace. That is something that only comes from God. 
from having a covenant relationship with God. Being secure in him. And David is so secure in him that out of that security, he says to Nathan, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. David is in so much peace that he even says, I need to respond. God has blessed me so much. God has helped me so much in the situation that I am in. I have enemies all around me. I have troubles all, all around me. But I am at peace with God. And in gratitude, he is moved to do that which honors and glorifies God. What does David say? I will build a place for the ark. That's one of the ways we see that someone is, is filled with that peace from God. Those who have the peace of God will in gratitude do what? They will respond to honor God. They will respond by looking for a way to serve God. They are in so much joy. They are so thankful that they can't sit pretty in their little house, enjoying life. They'll say, no, how can I serve God? They will always ask themselves this question, what shall I render unto the Lord? He has been so good to me. Could it be, dear brethren, that one of the ways we can apply this is that probably the reason why we don't give ourselves to the glory and the service of God is that we do not enjoy the peace of God, that, that security that we have in God is something, it's a truth, it's a doctrine that we do not delight in, that we do not meditate on. Why aren't we evangelizing as we ought? Why aren't we giving as we ought? Why aren't we loving the brethren as we ought? To be honest, it's because we do not sit down and meditate on the doctrine that I have peace with God, that God has given me First of all, peace with himself, because Christ died on the cross for my sins, and therefore, peace with him. Therefore, what shall I do with this time of peace? Will I just sit around? No, I will give myself to service. I'll give myself to glorifying God. David says, I cannot sit pretty. I must do something for my God. What a wonderful covenant blessing to be at peace with. And for those who are listening to me and you are not in Christ, you're still in your sins. The truth is, the reason why you are not at peace, in spite of you hustling to get the best job, get the best job, you're not at peace. And you hustle to get into the best relationship. You get into the best relationship and you're not at peace. And you get money. 
and you're not at peace and you get more money and you're not at peace and you try and add on so many things. The reason why you don't have peace because peace is part and parcel of God's covenant blessing with his people, with those who are his in Christ, with those who have turned away from their sins. And they have a covenant relationship with him through the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way you will get this blessing of peace is by coming to this God, coming to him through Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn to him. And he will save you and you will have peace. Peace that the world cannot give you. Security. That being secure in God. Something that no job, no job security can give you, no relational security can give you, can only come from God. David had it because God made a covenant with him. To the believers, again, I come to us. Do we really think about that reality that we are at peace with God? It's one of the doctrines that Paul labors to bring out in the New Testament. You, God has made peace between us who are once sinners, who are once his enemies. You are enemies, and now we are his sons. That doctrine comes out in the Bible. Why do we need to be reminded of that doctrine in the New Testament? Because if we do not have if we do not focus on that peace, if we do not meditate on that doctrine, although we have, we are secure in Christ, but if we do not appropriate for ourselves what that doctrine says and gives us, we will be Christians who live on this earth like the rest of humanity. We will be shaken when the world is shaken. We will be running around when everyone else is running around. We will be hiding when everyone is hiding. But when you are secure in the Lord, you know that no matter what happens, Christ is on the throne. Our King rules. He reigns. My place in Him is secure. My place at work may not be secure. My place... Uh, in terms of my social status may not be secure. Everything can collapse. Relation, relations around me may collapse, but I am so secure in the Lord. That should give us much peace to face the challenges of this life. But then it's not just the blessing of being secure in him as we see um, David having that peace. We also see, secondly, I want us to see the blessing of a firm relationship with him. So with God, it's not simply being secured. Someone can give you security without having a relationship with you, isn't it? You can hire a bodyguard who, who secures and protects you, but they have no relationship with you. They don't care about you. 
Just make sure they protect you. That's not the God of heaven. He secures us. He gives us peace. Then, there's also that relationship. In this passage, and especially verse 4, all the way to 11, we must note that the author not only focuses on the place of David in Israel or on the throne, but he, the author also puts a focus on the place of David in God's heart. One of the things that comes out so clearly from this passage is that God loves David. God is concerned for David. And God has a firm, deep relationship with David. Now, the first way that we see this, the, 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 the relationship that, that firm relationship that David has with Yahweh, and this is part, again, of the covenant blessing that God gives to him, is verse 5. Now, verse 5, someone can read verse 5 and be very quick to pass over it, where it says, Go, um, but that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go tell my servant David. So Nathan tells David, you just do whatever you want. But then the story doesn't end there. That very night, God comes to Nathan. God is concerned for David. We see that David gets an answer from God himself. He had asked Nathan, but then because God loves him so much, he comes in and he answers him on the same day. And the Lord does not delay in making his will known to David. We see here, what does God say to him? He addresses him as my servant David. Focus on that first of all. When God speaks to Nathan, he says, go tell my servant David. And this is a loaded statement. It's loaded because not so many people, or let me put it this way. Many people say that they are the servants of God, isn't it? Many people are even called by other men servants of God. Even in the Bible, by the way. But there are few people who God says, my servant. Look at your Bible. You will notice that. Go, go read your Bible. You will notice that very few people does God say, my. He owns them. It's a possessive statement. My. Again, many people are called the servant of the Lord, right? Many people call themselves the servants of the Lord. But not many do we see God calls my servant. We see that it's only a few people who are raised by God for a special service or a special purpose like Moses or Joshua, are given this title by Yahweh himself 
servants of Yahweh. So in other words, what we see here is that in God's covenant, love to him, as he makes this covenant with him, David shows that, or God's, rather, God shows to David, you belong to me. You are mine. It's almost like when a husband would say to someone, go and tell my wife. It's a deep relational statement. They are mine. I love them. I know them. God could have just said, go tell David. My servant, David. What a wonderful and a beautiful thing to know that you're not only secure in God, but that he owns you. Not many people in this life can own you. It's only those people who are special to you who can say, my brother, isn't it? My sister, my husband, my wife, my son, my father. Here we see Yahweh saying to, my, uh, saying to Nathan, go tell my servant. It's a very intimate statement that is only given to a few men like Moses and Joshua. But we also see that this title is given to another. In Matthew 12 and verse 18, there is one who God himself says this. Matthew 12 and verse 18, look at what God says. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my, be my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Who is this who had such a strong relationship, a firm relationship with the Father? It is Jesus Christ, isn't it? God loved Christ. The Father so loved the Son. He calls him my servant, whom I have chosen. My beloved. He goes even further. Christ reads from this, speaking about himself. And though, again, those who are in Christ are loved by the Father in this covenant relationship. And that's why, again, that statement, in Christ, in Christ, is so important in the Bible. We are loved of God. We have a firm relationship with God. Not because we are members of TBC. Not because we know Reformed theology. Not even because we prayed a prayer in Christ. We are loved by the Father. It's a wonderful blessing we have in Christ. But then we also see that he, God tells David another statement, and I will make your name great. 
to show how he has this loving relationship with him. The message of verse 5 to 11, because David says, you know, Lord, I want to build a house for you. And the answer is negative. That, um, that question asked, would you build me a house to dwell in? It's negative. It's God saying, you will not do it. And then God makes a long statement. And this is the message of verse 5 to 11, if it is summarized. David, you shall not build a house for me. But I, whom have chosen you to be ruler of my people, will build a house for you. Do you see that? I will build your house. And then you will build my house. You will experience my love. You will experience my care. Then from that, will you be used and your generations to build for me a house? So we see that even in denying David his request, God is working for his good. Though David came short of making good his purpose or his desire to build God a house, yet God did not fall short of making good his promise to build David a house. And one of the things, one of the practical things we can take from this is that we must learn, we can learn from this passage that even where God says no, it is for our good. It is because he is doing something far better. In even denying our, our prayers, God denies the prayers of David, but he tells him, I'll do something better. I'll build you a house. I'll make your name great. But covenant. Blessing. Do you know this God? Again, for those who are listening to me, whether here or via the live stream, do you know this God? Would you say that you have such a firm relationship in Him that He can say, You are my servant, that I will build a house for you? It is only those who are in Christ who are then the servants of God, who are then beloved of God, and who are used of God. It is only those who are in Christ who then the Lord will exalt them on that day. He, uh, he as we see in the book of Revelation, that he will give them a name, a blessed name that no other will know. The book of Revelation is that, I will give you a name that no one knows. In other words, I will make you mine. 
you will be so much mine that you will be my great people. You will shine like the stars for eternity. You will dwell in my glory before me. You will enjoy the blessings of an eternity with me. It's only, again, those who are in Christ who possess such a blessing. This is the, again, the wonderful thing about the blessing of God. Blessing upon blessing. As we unwrap it, we realize it's not just the blessing we see in the surface. There is more and more. And the more we unwrap this blessing, uh, our covenant blessings, the more we find out more blessings. That's the God we serve. a wonderful thing that he has given us, this blessing, this covenant blessing in Christ. But then thirdly, as I conclude, as we continue to observe the covenant blessing of God, the uh, manifold blessing of God's covenant. So we have seen that there is that security in God. There is that Farm relationship where God owns us. And he says we are his, just like he says to David. But then, thirdly, there is the blessing of being included in God's eternal plan. Now, the first two blessings, we can say, well, that's, that's already beyond this one. That's Beyond what we deserve, oh God. I mean, I don't deserve to be secure in you. Thank you, Lord. I mean, I have a strong relationship, a firm relationship with you that cannot be broken. As we saw from the book of Romans, uh, Pastor Murungi was taking us through that. That there is nothing in this life or in the life to come. There is nothing that can take us away from the love of God in Christ. Firm relationship. But then this third one is interesting. That for those who God pours out his covenant blessing, God also includes them in his eternal plan. His plan to bring his reign on the earth. As we look at verses 12 to 17, one of the things that we see is that God's blessing on his servant David is not just limited to the past, because he does talk about how um, he raised him and he chose him uh, from keeping the sheep and uh, watched over him. He kept him in the past. He anointed him to be king. Past blessings. And then he does talk of, Nathan does show the blessings that are there right now. You know, you are the servant of God. But God's blessings also flow into the future. Or he uses us for his future purposes. 
he qualifies us to be used in his eternal plan. Nathan, in laying out God's favor upon David, speaks of the present blessing. And he also speaks about the future blessings of God that are coming. He states in verse 12, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Look at that. That even in death, your blessings are not taken away. By the way, it's only God's blessings that are like that. Every other blessing ends with death, isn't it? Anyone can gift you anything in this world. Anything in this world you can be gifted, you can be given. But death will do what? Will take it away. We all know that. Death will ultimately, should the Lord tarry, death will take away the relationships in our lives. Death will take away our status, our education, our skills, our abilities. But the blessing of God, having that deep relationship with him, death cannot cancel that. God's blessings continue on. And David is told, you know what? Your blessings will continue to flow out into the future. And what God is saying here is that this passage speaks of God's plan to establish, first of all, Solomon. So primarily it's uh, talking about Solomon, who will build the temple, as we shall later see. God will allow this son of David to build a place where God's earthly presence will be symbolized. And the temple is constructed. So God tells David, you will play a role in ensuring that. You will, you and your generation will play a role in ensuring that I am worshipped. That I, my presence is with my people. I will use you. And this is not a little thing to be used of God. It's not something small for God to include us in his eternal plan. Because who are we? And you shall see in the prayer of David, he asked himself, who am I? I mean, what, even on earth, what multinational will take you and include you in their plans, their 50-year plan, their 30-year plan? Most of us here are not qualified, isn't it? Even to be included in their one-month plan, isn't it? They say, surely, what can you offer us? But God includes men like David 
simple man who used to herd or to, to be a shepherd of sheep. I will use you for my plans and my purposes to ensure I am worshipped on earth. But more importantly and more broadly, this passage is not just talking about Solomon, but it is talking about the great son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God will use to establish his everlasting kingdom on earth, whom God will use to bring to himself worshippers, Solomon will be used to build the temple where worshippers will come into the temple in Jerusalem. But Christ, the great son of David, being used of God to now bring in worshippers from all over the world, from every tongue, every nation, every tribe, worship God. And that's why Christ is a far greater servant. If you look at the argument from the writer of Hebrews, he shows how Christ is greater than Moses and Joshua and David. Solomon, yes, built a temple. People prayed and people worshipped God. But it was limited, isn't it? People had to go there at certain times. People had to offer before uh, worshipping God, offer a sacrifice which had to be done over and over and over and over again. And ultimately, we even see that God's people are even taken from the land of Israel and they are sent on exile in Babylon. And they can't worship God. They can't sing the songs of Zion when they are told by the, the, the heathens, sing to us. Some of the songs of Zion. And they say, we can't sing it here. We need to go back to Jerusalem. We need to go back to the temple. But in Christ, we have a temple where all around the world, people are doing what? Worshipping God. The great son of David will accomplish this. How do we see this? Is there evidence for this that Christ is a blessed one who is included in, who will fulfill this? We see, for example, in Acts 13 and verse 22 and 23, we are told, He raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my way. After this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Again, look at the Gospel of Luke, verse chapter 1 and verse 32, saying of Christ, he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High, and 
the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Again, talking about Christ, there are many other passages, but let me read this one from Hebrews 1.8. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. Do you know what, dear saints, as we read this, we in Christ are included in God's eternal plan. In Christ, we are called to play a role in bringing in worshipers, isn't it? When we preach the gospel, when we evangelize, we are playing that role that God in his covenant mercies, in his covenant blessings, he says, I will not only save you, God doesn't say I'll save you and then tells us, okay, now you're ready, just wait and go to heaven. No, he saves us. He secures us, but then he uses us for his eternal purposes, calls us to evangelize, to bring in worshipers. He calls us to go out and preach the message of Christ, the great son of David. And he even calls us, which is an interesting thing, that we are called to be Heirs with, co-heirs with who? Christ. An amazing thing. We who are undeserving, God says, you will be part of my eternal divine plan. I will use you in my plan. Again, let's meditate upon that reality. Because many times we underplay God's covenant blessing and that's why, for example, we have the Lord's Supper as often as possible so that we may be reminded because we forget that we have a covenant relationship. That's why God's word is constantly preached to us because we forget this reality. Here's my reminder to you from God's word that for you who are in Christ, secure in him. You're secure Yes, chaos around the world, chaos in our homes, chaos outside our homes, chaos everywhere. Secure God. The peace of God reigns in our hearts. That we have a firm relationship with him in Christ. And that he has called us to play a role in his eternal plan. When we gather like this to worship, when we go out to evangelize, we are playing a role that we do not deserve. But in Christ, we have been qualified. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
your goodness, your kindness to us, that we who are outside your covenant, we who are actually under your judgment and your wrath because of our sin, thank you that in Christ, the great son of David, we have the blessing that encompasses all blessings, that covenant blessing. That because of our relationship with Christ, we are at peace. We are at peace even though we are surrounded by many troubles. Many troubles without and within, we are at peace. We thank you for this wonderful reality. Thank you that we have a relationship with you. That you call us your people. That you are proud to call us your people, your children. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us not to take these blessings for granted. Because many times, Lord, we even despise your blessings. We even look down upon them and wonder whether they are helpful for us in our little situations here or not. Please forgive us. Help us to experience a joy that comes from knowing that we are secure, that we are beloved. We also do thank you that you, in Christ, have called us to be those who play an important role in bringing in worshippers. That in Christ, you have opened the door so that People from every tongue, nation, and tribe can worship you. Oh Lord, help us to continue in this work of building the temple of your church. Help each and every one of us in a heart of gratitude to play our role. Not to slacken, not to be lazy, but out of gratitude. To be energized to serve you in this way, dear Lord. So, oh Lord, help us to experience and to cherish your blessings. For we pray and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.